You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. In the eye of the storm or in the middle of the mundane, how do we practice staying in awe and wonder of God whilst living in the middle of uncertainty? What is our response to God in the in-between? So we're going to dive right in. Uh, I'm going to start off with a story, which doesn't paint me in the best light, but listen, we've got to be open in this place. Uh, So recently, I had the joy of celebrating two of my friends getting married. Uh, The wedding wasn't too far away, which meant I had a good amount of time in the morning to get ready. I even (laughs) arrogantly booked a haircut uh, the morning of so I could have the salon fresh situation happening. Um, Thinking, I've got loads of time. It was all going so well. I was getting ready with some friends. We were having a lovely time. Until all of a sudden, we realized we'd only left just enough time to get there on time. We'd gotten so carried away having, like, the most fun getting ready that we just totally botched the timings. So we got in my lovely car, Hank the Tank, as he's affectionately known. He's very small, so it's funny. Um, And we were determined to not be late to this wedding. The M6 southbound, however, had other ideas. We hit traffic, you know it well, the traffic that makes you wonder why you didn't just camp outside the church the night before and just turn up looking terrible to the wedding. Um, Unfortunately for us, the M6 had closed. However, slight relief, they closed the M6 at the junction we needed. So we were like, great, we can get off at the junction we need. What we then realized was the entirety of the M6 southbound traffic was being diverted through this sleepy Cheshire town that we were going to. So every traffic light, oh, that was a long time waiting to get through. Um, It was a tense time for Hank and the girls in the car. All of this was even more stressful because I was due to be singing at their wedding and another friend of mine was due to do a reading. So we couldn't just slip in the back halfway through and be like, yeah, we were here the whole time. We really had to be there. So after a few frantic and desperate texts to some poor bewildered bridesmaids, we were assured the bride was running late. Praise the Lord. Oh, By some miracle, we were only 10 minutes late. I genuinely think he... God did something with time. I know he can. I don't know if he did. Um, But literally, I can't believe we were 10 minutes late. The bride arrived five minutes late. So we were only five minutes later than the bride. In my book, come on, bride, half an hour, please. Um, Anyway, they graciously waited for us. I literally can't believe this. We ran up the coupled street. We were flurried past the vicar into the church. Now, the bride and groom just happened to be some of my dearest friends and also the most gracious people on the planet who couldn't have been more relaxed about our fashionably late arrival. Honestly, they were so kind. And I, know, I don't know how everyone would take that, but they were just like, oh, yeah, don't worry, set up your guitar. It's fine. We'll just wait. I was like, please, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so... I sat on my guitar, I took my seat, and I realized I desperately needed a drink of water. Of course, in the hurry, I'd left my water bottle in the car. Hank the Tank was carefully harboring my precious water bottle, and I had the driest mouth in the whole of East Cheshire and the surrounding areas. I desperately pleaded with some friends sat nearby, does anyone have a drop of water? But no one could come to my aid, until a friend of mine offered me a humble polo, the sweet release of a humble polo. It wasn't water, but surely I was thinking it'll get something flowing, and then I'd be ready to sing for my friends on their wedding day. So the polo goes in the mouth. The vicar says, please stand for the entrance of the bride. I stand up, I turn, and I see one of my best mates looking absolutely beautiful, ready to commit her life to one of my other best mates who's like beaming with joy in the whole situation. It just took me totally off guard. 
the moment had me. Seeing her walk down the aisle took my breath away. Quite literally, I inhaled, the polo goes down the back of the throat and halfway down. And I am panicking. Oh, I don't know who put a hole in the middle of a polo, but I think I owe them my life. Uh, so thank you. Safety first. So there's me. Everyone's having a lovely time enjoying this moment. I'm like clutching, like speechless, like, and everyone's like, she's loving it. She can't even speak. She's having a great time. No, no, I was fearing for my life, people. So I was in that moment, I was deciding, okay, do I try and like hack it up or do I heave it down? Like, what's my best option here? I thought the second option would be quieter. So I went for that. So after a few like, come on, come on, I managed to get it down. Oh, praise the Lord. So I was now like gasping for air. My throat was scratchy. I was overwhelmed. I was really still crying and happy about my friends getting married. Um, but it's safe to say that my throat was drier than it had ever been. So I was in a bit of a state. The awe and wonder of the moment quite literally took my breath away. And by the grace of the Lord, I'm alive and well, and I didn't miss that wonderful wedding. So thankfully, the acoustics in the church just carried me through the situation. Um, and I was able to sing for them and get to enjoy that wonderful, wonderful moment celebrating their wedding. So this is, my, this is my avenue in. I'm wondering how often we allow God to sweep us off our feet. How often do we allow him to just be in our lives, be ready to worship him? Do we come absolutely flabbergasted and overwhelmed, not ready? How often are we here ready to be swept off our feet by the Lord? How often do we arrive at church early, ready to worship him? No need for a polo because we've remembered our water and we haven't been in a hurry. How often do we honor the moment of coming to church and being ready to be in awe of the living God who chooses to meet with us? Now, hear my heart. Often kids, traffic, in my case, the alarm I never set, all have other ideas about us arriving at church on time. But I'm referring to the regular patterns and practices we set. How often do we set aside time just to get lost in the scriptures, to pray and just adore him? What are our practices of awe and wonder? And how do we practice praise? Because sometimes he just meets with us. We weren't ready. We weren't even thinking about him. And it takes us off guard. But actually, this is something we can cultivate in our own lives and encourage and champion in the lives of others. So how do we practice our praises to the Lord that lead us to experiences of awe and wonder? So my first question is, why do we need to be in awe and wonder in the middle of the mystery? Like, why is that important? My number one point is the classic, because Jesus says so. Uh, it's so good. Um, and because he does it, he models it. So on the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22. When he is in pain on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, he doesn't say this, but on the cross, but the psalm continues. It says, why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Now, that is the start of the psalm, but the psalm ends by saying this. His righteous acts will be told to those not born yet. They will hear about everything he has done. Now, there's another translation. The message translation of these last few verses reads like this. As the word is passed along from parent to child, babies not yet conceived will hear the good news that God does what he says. 
Jesus on the cross will have known that this psalm ends in praise. He could have chosen to quote any number of different verses or just said anything off the top of his head that was just an exclamation of pain and suffering. But he chose to quote a psalm that he knew ended in praise and adoration. In the middle of his pain, he declared that God is a God that keeps his promises and does what he says he'll do. In a talk that I listened to recently by Jack Johnson, he described this moment as Jesus leading worship on the cross. He's quoting a psalm, and the psalms are essentially worship songs and poems. And when he said that, it absolutely hit me. From the place of Jesus' deepest pain, he chooses to worship the Lord. In the middle of the mystery and the unspeakable pain, he not only looks to God, but he praises him. It gives me goosebumps when I think about it for too long. What faith to know the Lord so well, to have been in awe of him so regularly that even when the worst pain comes, it doesn't lead to abandoning the truth that God is good. Now, I say this is someone who is absolutely not there, but is longing to build a relationship with God that can hold on to both praise and pain. We won't get this right all the time, and it is an utterly human experience to have pain lead us to questions. But building up a lifetime of awe in amongst the pain will give us a knowledge of the truth that God is good, and our pain and discomfort isn't a denial of God's good character. The second reason why we choose for choosing life of praise is because a bit of mystery is good for us. Now, this is a tough one, but why do we expect to comprehend God completely and easily? It makes perfect sense that it doesn't make perfect sense. There is a comfort in the complexity. We just need to seek it out. It should be concerning for us if we could fathom the living God, because God is so far beyond us, it evokes our wonder. We are made in his image, but we are not him. And image bearing is a good gig, but it is inherently different. We can kid ourselves that we deserve to know everything, that we're entitled to it, and that the knowledge of all things is just out there, ready and waiting for the most smart and persistent people to find. But the Bible is explicit. There are things that we do not get to know, and that is okay. There is a fullness to be found in the unknown, because that unknowing calls our hearts to nurture a great faith within us. People so frequently misunderstood Jesus. When he was living among us, there are countless times in the Gospels that people asked Jesus questions and never got answered. Jesus is actually asked 183 questions in the Gospels, and he directly answers only three of them. That makes me think that it is actually so much more important that we allow God to get to the depths of us rather than for us to get to the depths of God. Derek Morphew, in his book, Biblical Interpretation, explains that a Christian has a revelation of knowledge of one central person, Jesus Christ, and that knowing him is to know the one who has revelation about everything. So to be a Christian is not to know everything, but to be a knower of one person who himself is the ultimate knower. What a privilege and a blessing to know the ultimate knower of all things. We are such small beings in such a small gap in time and space, but in amongst the madness, the Lord of heaven and earth chooses to befriend us. My nephew is two years old, and one day, 
My sister accidentally gave him adult toothpaste instead of his much less intense kid's toothpaste. Now, being two, he doesn't have the full range of vocabulary yet, so when he started brushing his teeth, he was a bit shocked by the taste, and he explained to my sister that the toothpaste was too spicy, too spicy, which I just thought was adorable. Um, and I just love that as a picture of us and God. We are so limited. Our vocabulary couldn't get near describing the wonder of him, and yet he loves to hear the way we see the world. How incredibly kind of him. He knows how limited we are, how we fumble and stumble over our prayers and often our lives. And he could do a far better job of explaining our prayers and ourselves to himself and what is going on in our world. But instead, he asks us to tell him through our words what is going on. Just as a two-year-old has to figure out a way to explain a minty taste as spicy, we don't come close to explaining God. And yet, just as I did, God loves hearing the stories of how we see things. I was thrilled to get a glimpse into the mind of my nephew because I love him. I love hearing about how he makes sense of the world, even when he hasn't got it all figured out. Now, we are Manchester Vineyard, and in the vineyard, we are a people of the tension. And so just because we can't get to the depths of God, it doesn't mean we shouldn't delight in the trying. Not for the end goal of knowing God absolutely and having all the answers of life's most intriguing and unsettling questions, but because it is what we are made for and how we are found in fullness to pursue our maker in love and adoration. The Bible tells us in Psalms that a single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And Hebrews 12, 28 tells us, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Can I encourage us to read the stories of the Old Testament and declare the praises that are waiting to come out of us? Look back at the stories of God in your own life and thank him. We have some amazing stories in our church of different people encountering the Lord, and we will make space later to pray for each other and invite God's presence to move among us. So let's be praying for one another and for ourselves to grow intentionally in being in awe of God, in praising him in the in-betweens. The writer Andy Squires has a book of essays that I often read as part of my time on my own with God, and I love the way he phrases things. He writes, solidarity with Christ is to know suffering and joy and to let the two speak freely with one another. Once I walked through a meadow on top of a mountain in northern Georgia, and I listened to the wind testify of God. And in that moment, the only thing possible for me to do was believe. We need these moments and markers that take us to these places of knowing who God is. Even whilst pain and joy are having regular conversations with each other, realizing that they don't have to cancel each other out is crucial. They can simply coexist with all the other complexities and contradictions we learn to live with. A few weeks ago, Naomi spoke about our unshakable God, and what a reminder that is. How important is it for us to put markers in our lives to remember what God has done for us? For this writer, Andy Squires, walking up a mountain was a reminder for him that he couldn't not praise the Lord. So what are our reminders? God is so incredibly kind to give us these moments. But as a parent who loves his children, he does discipline us as well. And he does sometimes give us a healthy dose of the truth. 
because the Bible tells us he is full of truth and grace. He doesn't just give us the truth and he doesn't just give us all grace. And the way he gives both is so kind. So we're going to read a section of the Bible in the book of Job. Um, So feel free to get your Bibles out if you'd like to read along. Now, although this moment in Job is a very large dose of the truth, when I've had these moments of the Holy Spirit convicting me and nudging me about my behaviors and attitudes and thoughts that need to change, he does it with such a big grace of of grace too. Trusted friends would often kindly advise me when I need it and gently steer me in the right direction. But it's so often God himself who speaks to us about the big stuff when we have postured our hearts towards him and humbly asked for his correction in our lives. So here is one big smackdown for Job. Um, Now, Job had a wonderful life and lived for the Lord. But he is faced with the loss of all of his possessions, his children, and then finally his own health. Now, Job chooses to praise God in the end, but that is not before some very big and not very humble questions from Job. So we're going to read quite a big chunk, and we're starting off in Job 38. Um, Lovely. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was created, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them of weapons for times of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Now we're just going to skip ahead to Job 40, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job... Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And again, we're going to skip to Job 42, verse 2. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. 
And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Whoa. <laughs> that is a good bit. And I've paraphrased. There's a whole, there's loads more if you want to really get into God being like, and did you see this? And what about the thunder? How, do you know how that works? It's really good. Um, sometimes I find myself needing a good old-fashioned Job-level smackdown. Because we live in a world where we convince ourselves of our own entitlement. And we get disappointed and even angry when we don't have the answers or when things aren't going our way. Job had such a wonderful life. And I actually do think that the book of Job gives us permission to speak to God in every mood with all that we are. He wants us to speak to him. But there is a word of warning that there comes a time when we need to know that he is God and we are not. And that our anger towards God and refusal to yield to him slows us down from the fullness that God has for us. God loved Job too much to leave him wringing his hands and going around and around questioning the character of God. And there is so much in this section that just sparks your imagination to be utterly in awe of God. Just pondering on the verses like, have you explored the springs from which the sea comes? Or have you visited the storehouses of snow? Imagine. And actually... There is so much unexplored territory in our own hearts of wonder that we need to dive into. So create practices of praise. Seek out the wonders that you want to wonder about. And don't let up in the middle of the mystery. Mysteries are not the I told you so of the world. They simply point to our humanity, mixed in with a lot of complications that we were never built for. If the questions or pains of this world feel too hard to bear, I would wonder if it's because we were never built to bear them. We weren't made for the pains of this world because it wasn't supposed to be like this. But in God's merciful love, he has made a way for us to endure them. And in the middle of my darkest pains, the only route I can find out that lasts is Jesus. He is the hope in my heart and the echo of my days. So how can we choose to be in awe of God, to worship him in the middle of the mystery? What are the practical things that we can put in place to do this? So these are mine. My number one, committing to church. We are told that in Acts 2, we should do things together in community, to love one another well and to live with the Lord together. At church, we can enter into his presence with our church family. That might look like getting a coffee at the start of church and chatting with a new person who's looking for a church home. It might look like dropping your kids off to a kids team that are excited to see them and expectant for your children to meet with God. It might be during a ministry time. It could be during setup. It might be during a talk or it could be in worship or so many other places and spaces in these gatherings. This environment is set up for us and by us to meet together with the living God, to be changed in his presence in community. This thing that we get to do together is ancient and holy, and it is not available to all of our church family around the globe, and we are to be thankful for it. We are to fight for it, even when it's hard and it costs us and it hurts us, because of course it will. It's full of people. But there are moments of awe and parcels of wonder to be found and grasped during these meetings. We need to ask him to meet with us. We need to ask to be in awe of him here amongst our church family. 
being a part of the reason someone else gets to experience the power of God in their lives is also awe-invoking. Being on team has literally changed my life. I know that's a hard sell, but stay with me, okay? Getting to be a little cog in the wheel that makes this thing turn is honestly electric for me. Knowing what the Lord has done in my life is all the sweeter when I get to be a small part of making it happen for someone else. By serving our church family, by being on a Sunday team, we get to be part of potentially seeing one more person fall more in love with Jesus. Jesus tells a story in the Bible of him leaving 99 sheep to save the one sheep that got lost. What would we do for the one? Would we arrive at 8.30 a.m. on a Sunday to move tables and set out drinks and snacks and unwind, I can only assume, a thousand cables? Of course we would, because that is who Jesus called us to be. And I know that we would, because people did that for me the first week that I got here. The rooms were set, the coffee was hot, and people were ready to welcome me in. Being a part of church family means getting to be in awe of what the Lord is doing in so many other people's lives as well as our own. And a great way to really get into that is by joining a small group. So my second way in is practicing awe and wonder and making it a pattern in our lives is to do this together in smaller groups. Some may even call them small groups. Walking through life together and journeying faith with a small group is so important. Having people you can share your life with is such a game changer. We have small groups at our church that can help you cement the foundations of your faith and go through life with you in all of its complexities and complications and also all of its joys and wonders. Not only are church small groups great, but also I would recommend having an even smaller group of mates who you really trust, who point you towards Jesus, and who you have invited into your life to be accountable to and for you to hold to account. People who know that they have permission to ask you the really hard questions. How is your heart? What takes up your thoughts? Where do you spend your time? Where does your money go? People who know that... People you know love you deeply and you know they want the best for you. These friendships can really carry us through moments of mystery and confusion and pain. These friendships can point you towards and sometimes helpfully drag you towards Jesus. Choosing wonder and choosing praise is not easy. Having people to do that with is absolutely essential. Now we also, the third thing of how we can do this is we need to cultivate these practices of praise and worship and awe and wonder on our own. This was a hard one for me to come to terms with. I am a very extroverted person, um, so the COVID lockdowns really threw me off. It was really tough coming to terms with how different church would look, because it turns out church is hard when you can't be anywhere near each other. It was then that I realized that if I didn't have some really solid stuff in place for me personally to cultivate and tend to my relationship with Jesus, then I wouldn't be in a good place. I realized during COVID that so many of my spiritual practices and disciplines were completely centered around other people. And I knew that if I carried on just tuning into church on YouTube every week and playing Drawasaurus with my lovely small group, that my relationship with Jesus wouldn't be much of a relationship at all. I needed practices of prayer and praise that didn't just rely on church and small group and other people pointing me towards Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves, what is good for us? What helps us look forward to time with God when it's just us and him? Is it worshipping? Is it journaling? 
Is it asking to him to speak to us and listening to what he says? Is it reading a poem? Is it going for a walk? Whatever it might be for you, we need to commit to the practices, people, and patterns that healthily shape our lives and point us towards Jesus. These are a few examples that I've given you, like church, small group, a smaller group, and you with the Lord. And that model is from Jesus. In the Bible, it tells us that Jesus had a big group of 72 disciples that he sent out to prepare the way before him. There's also his small group of 12 disciples, which we read a lot about in the Gospels. He then had an even smaller group of really trusted pals, which were Peter, James, and John. And the Bible tells us that Jesus regularly withdrew himself and went to be alone with God. Now, our church is a little bit bigger than 72 people, but that's our big group. And a lot of our small groups are probably around 12 people, so there's your small group. Now, you need to then find three mates or a little group of mates or people that are really close to you to point you towards Jesus. And then it's you and God. And if it's good for Jesus, it's most certainly good for me. And I have found such life-giving joy in each of those spaces and have needed all of them for different things. So in the end, the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know, it's actually true. In the end, it's not what you are, it's whose you are. Jesus tells us that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. It is hard to take heart if you don't know who has overcome the world. And not just a one and done knowing him, but know him the day you need to take heart. Know Jesus in the middle of the mystery, of the pain, of the unanswered questions and prayers, in the middle of confusion. Otherwise, how can we take heart in someone we don't know? So we need to worship him, praise him, honor him, love him, adore him, choose him. The pains and the mysteries of this world won't stop. So if we stop our praise, it will ultimately be much harder for us to trust him. If we stop our end of pursuing the loving character of God, it's really easy to see the scales tip and to have a skewed vision of who God is. We can get so tangled up in the millions of other things there are to know. We can get so lost in the endless pains and mysteries of this world and forget to pause in the God who gave us the ability to do so. So we need to look to him, bring our worries to his door in prayer, bring our burdens to the cross and pursue the absolute truth that God is good and kind and faithful and true and his mercies endure forever. Choosing God in the excellent, in the mundane and in the pain is ultimately only really achievable from the long haul when we are drawing from our disciplines, practices and patterns of praise that we have embedded into our lives over a lifetime. So when the wolves come to the door and the darkness creeps in, our praises are so regularly practiced that they are never far away. Andy Squires writes this, Christ himself is our ultimate reality, and nothing reveals the wonder of that more than the thrill of being dependent and alive in time and space between heaven and earth. In his kindness, he has almost always failed to give me answers. Our goal is not to give people answers, but to dispense wonder and gratitude. We can't be afraid to find out that God is much better than we have ever allowed ourselves to imagine. So we're going to spend some time dwelling on just that. So I'm going to invite Matty up to join me. And we're just going to invite God's presence to move among us. So if I can invite you guys to stand. And we are just going to wait on the Lord. 
Now, if this is your first time, I would just invite you to close your eyes and ask God to move in your heart. Or if you're just comfortable, just, just standing or sitting and waiting. Come, Holy Spirit. for some of you this might be quite new for you but what I love about what Sharham was sharing was that getting to know God is just such a practical thing just like with anyone else it just takes it takes time so, so that's what we're doing this morning Father we just welcome you this morning Jesus Holy Spirit we welcome you this morning we ask that you'd be speaking to people you'd be Resting on people. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Jesus. I get a sense that the Lord is just saying these words, desperate and hungry. Now, these are words that are used to describe the, the early start of the vineyard movement that our church, that our church is a part of. And I just also feel the Lord saying desperation and hunger for him might not look the way you think it might. It might be that you've never been hungry for him. And now you're starting to get those initial rumbles. It might be that you are regularly hungry and you just want more. Or it might be that you have been hungry and filled before, but right now it just doesn't seem like that. So in whatever place you're at, I just really believe this is an invitation from the Lord for hunger and desperation for him. Mm. That the hearts of the people moved and longing for him are the hearts of the people that will receive him. So come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.